It's good to be back. Megan and I took a trip to Australia for a few days last weekend, but we're back in New Zealand, the lovely country of the long white cloud. And we had a good time. We visited Melbourne and we visited Sydney and both churches send warm greetings. They say hello. Many of you know people both in Melbourne and Sydney. They say hello to everybody here. And there was also a school of missions, which six of us attended from here. So they went over and learned uh, lots of things. And Doug Arthur, who leads the Boston church and Valder, who's an elder in Boston, came over and did quite a bit of teaching. So that was a really cool experience. And then all the men and the staff in the spa region went away for a retreat as well. Got some good teaching, some good fellowship and good encouragement. So that was fantastic. Fantastic. And I also watched the service online because there's a time difference in Australia. So I watched John preach. I watched the service and I heard his public confession too. Of, but I, and I appreciate that. And so that was all good. And then we also heard about the One Tree Hill Bible Talk recently that had... Had nine people come out. That's pretty awesome for their first one. Way to go, One Tree Hill. So keep cranking. That's awesome. We also have some some visitors from our sister church in America. Alice from California. Sorry, Elise. Yep. Thank you for that correction. Elise from California. If you could stand up. And then Kristen from Texas. If you could stand up as well. Glad to have you here. And then also we had a sister move here from our sister church in South Africa. And Solo. Yes. Hey. Kind of. It was a kind of. All right. So. She's here. She's moved here. And please forgive my pronunciation. I have quite a while to work on it. That'll be good. Uh, turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But as we do, just a few announcements before we get started. Today after church, there's a parenting class. So at 12 until 1 in the room, in the foyer, there's... Uh, class for parents who have children from 0 to 10, and that'll be for one hour, 12 to 1. And then in a couple weeks, the, the, the very end of the, the very first week of March, Chris and Kim Reed will be visiting. They lead the church in Stockholm, Sweden, and they'll spend about four or five days here. So Saturday, which is March, is everything all right, bro? Hey? Oh, wait. Oh, that's at the end of service. I thought there was a coup going on. Like, I was ready. I was ready to, you know, battle it out. But it was one-on-one. I didn't know where everybody else was. So, that, yeah, that'll be at the end. Sorry about that. But so Chris and Kim are coming. And then Chris will preach on the first Sunday in March. And it'll be after church. There's a, a leadership training. So anybody interested in learning how to lead can come to that. That'll be in the front room as well. And then on the Saturday right before that, from 2 to 5, there's also a workshop they're doing for leaders that want to learn how to lead as well. But that'll be split men and women. And that'll all be posted on Elvanto and Facebook as well. So that's important to keep in mind the first weekend we have some visitors. And then the month of April, we have our church retreat. That's April 13th and 14th. And that's $47 a person, no matter your age. Again, all this all this will be posted on the church website and Elvanto as well. But just wanted to put that date in your mind. Amen? Amen. And then Jonathan and Faye, uh, Anne have announcements after church about O-Week and for the, for the Island Week. So there we go. There we go. All right. First Corinthians 6, if you're there, let's pray and then, and then read about our text this morning. 
Uh, Father, we're grateful to come before you and read your scriptures. We pray that we understand them and we understand the truth that you want to communicate to us here in, in this present day and help us really to take hold of it, embrace it and fight the good fight to follow Jesus more closely. But not only that, to really help reach a lost world. There are thousands and thousands and millions of people on this globe that need this gospel and we have it so precious. Help us to really hold it out to this, to this dark world. For all this in Christ's name. Amen. So in 1 Corinthians 6, we find a few things going on. And basically, there's, there's some problems in the church in Corinth. That's kind of an understatement. But in this chapter, there's, there's two main problems. And one of them is that their thinking in Corinth is a bit overinflated. They're a bit full of themselves. Additionally, there's some sinful behavior, specifically sexual immorality, that's going on in the church. And Paul has a solution. And the solution always is the resurrection and the cross. He always comes back to that. So for whatever problem that's going on in Corinth or for today, Paul always really shapes it back. Hey, the resurrection's happened. The cross is for you. So live like that. That's always the solution. So as we read, starting in verse 12, picking up where John left off last week, we're going to read to the end of the chapter. In verse 12, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, referring to Genesis chapter 2. But, verse 17, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And in case that's not all clear, in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And that's our text for this morning. If you come back next week or the next following, it's 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 8. That's what we do chapter by chapter to really explore what God has to say. But the context here in Corinth, again, is we've heard the first five chapters. We get an understanding of what the church looked like in Corinth. It's basically a mess. There's division, there's lawsuits, there's immorality, there's incest. And so Paul is still dealing with all this stuff, really helping them to understand, stop living like that. 
Live as you actually are. And a lot of this in chapter 6 and and chapter 7 concerns sexual morality and immorality. And I think much better to learn about that in church than from your mates who know nothing about it. So God created it. It has, it has everything we need to know about it. And, and in the following chapters, we'll explore a little more. But way better to learn inside a church than from the world yeah. about sexual morality. But first, what Paul talks about is this overinflated thinking. Even non-Christians say that the way you think affects the way you behave. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a fact. So if you're healthy in your thinking, then you have healthy behavior. But if you have unhealthy thoughts, then your behavior tends to be unhealthy. And so we get an insight into the way some of the members in the church in Corinth think. And so Paul will say, look, your thinking is way out there. No wonder your behavior looks the way it does. So let me correct your behavior. And in the first five chapters, you get the impression that this church is kind of walking around with their chest puffed out. We're so wise. We're so spiritual. We're so gifted. But you don't really hear how they think specifically until this, until this bit here. And so we see Paul is using their own slogans. You'll see that in verse 12 and verse 13 in quotes. And then he'll respond to those. So imagine you're having a conversation with this person. And it sounds something like this in verse 12 and 13. They basically say, I have the right to do anything. As a Christian, I'm free. There's freedom in Christ. Anything goes. So you see how that could impact their action. Right? They also talk about this idea, food for the stomach. What does that mean? Well, food goes into the stomach. The stomach is meant to eat. And they followed that logic by saying, the body has sexual desires. Therefore, it's okay to have sex. When I want, where I want. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I have a desire and a craving for sex, I'll have sex. That's the way they thought. And that that comes from Greek culture who says, they say the body doesn't really count for anything. Only the soul will live on. So they have a bit of an influence there from, from the culture. But their thought life ended up in some of the members sleeping with prostitutes. Anything goes. Food for the stomach. Stomach for the food. Sex for the body. Body for sex. Because in the end, God's going to destroy the body anyway. That's what it says if you continue to read on. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, verse 13. And God will destroy them both. The way they thought, anything I do in the body, irrelevant. Only the soul is raised back to life. And Paul says, look at your, man, you over, you've overinflated your spirituality. Look at the behavior that leads to. Come on, bro. You're sleeping around and and you think this is all right. Anything goes. So Paul, in contrast, will say, okay, you have the right to do anything. But is everything beneficial? I mean, clearly not everything you do is beneficial. So think about that. He's trying to help them understand, you know, and and, and that verb he uses, beneficial, is is helpful for us. It's where we get the English word symphony. It's sinfero, which means to bring together. And so he says, not everything brings everyone together. Not everything is beneficial. 
So you think you could do anything, but not everything brings people together. In 1 Corinthians 10, he'll talk about it later. He'll use that exact same phrase, responding to them who, who say, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is sympharo or constructive or beneficial. And then look how he responds. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. He also uses the same word in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 33. For I am not seeking my own good, but the sympharo, the bringing people together, the good of everyone, so that all may be saved. He uses the same verb in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Talks about how the Spirit divvies up all the different gifts. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for Sinfero, bringing people together. The way I live, I don't live for myself. I try to bring people together. The way you live shouldn't be for yourself. It should be about bringing everybody together. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to bring people together. So when Paul says, can you really do anything? It's not about what you can do, what's lawful, what's right. It's about what brings people together. That's what's beneficial. That's what brings us together. What benefits the whole. What you're doing benefits nobody but you. And so Paul is helping this. Look at the way you think and look at the way it's shaping your behavior. You're way overinflated in your own assessment of your spiritual thinking. And he's helping to correct that. I will not be mastered by anything because they say, well, I could do anything. And Paul says, really, can you do anything? What about stuff that you get addicted to and enslaved to? Can you do that? Really? I mean, think about this, guys. Can you really do anything? And he's helping him see like some stuff will actually enslave you by you voicing your freedom. That's backwards. You can't. And then he goes on to say the body is for the Lord because they say the body is insignificant. It's transient. It's out of here. Paul says, no, your body will be raised. What you do here and now matters to your body. You're way overinflated in your thinking. You've seen these little descriptions on tires, right? If you've pumped up a bike or you pumped up a tire or you've pumped up something else, there's a little, there's a little description on there. Do not inflate past whatever PSI, certain per square inch, whatever that means, but you better pay attention to that because it's important. Here's a video of someone who didn't really pay attention and the consequences are a little bit disastrous. This is a guy filling up his tire at a truck stop. You'll see the tire there. Didn't really follow the instructions. So after a few seconds, explosion. You bet his ears were ringing for several days. Do not over inflate. <laughs> there are dangerous consequences when you don't pay attention. The church in Corinth had puffed up their thinking. We could do anything. Oh, really? Boom. Now look at your behavior. You're sleeping with prostitutes. And so it's important to really understand what Paul is saying. Don't be overinflated. This has a lot of relevance for our culture. I don't know how many times I've heard, it's my rights. I can do what I want to do. Really? Does it benefit everybody? That, that's more of the thinking, right? What, what, what's best for the whole is what we ought to do. The principle is what's best for the community. Not the pagan view of what I do is my own business. 
That's how the world operates. And it's none of yours. If you're a disciple of Jesus, what you do or don't do impacts the community. Do what's best to bring people together. That's what Paul is saying. When you attend or don't attend church, it actually impacts the body. Your presence, when you serve or you don't serve or refuse to serve in kids ministry, it impacts the body. When you give to the church, when you give to God, and not just financially, but when you give socially, and you give of your time, and you give of your energy, or you don't give of your money, or your time, or your energy, it impacts the body. When you parent your kids in a godly way, or when you don't parent your kids in a godly way, it impacts the body. Nothing you do only impacts you. It impacts all of us. That's what Paul is saying. This is a warning to people who start to drift more towards the standards of the culture and align themselves with that than the Bible. Because you can gravitate, well, culture says this, and culture says that, and we can do this, and let's be like this. You know, this is a really new way of thinking that the culture is starting to spread. Hey, what does the Bible say? That's what brings people together. I think this is often true for men especially. My experience from my own life and from dealing with men is when they offer some fine sounding arguments, some philosophical justifications for, you know what, I'm really not sure I believe in the Bible. I'm really not sure I can rely on the Bible. When you dig down deep enough, there's normally immorality. And here in Corinth, they're saying, oh, you can do anything, and I'm free in Christ, and blah, 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 and I sound spiritual and philosophical. And no, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've studied the Bible with guys, and I just can't be this, or brothers say, I'm just having trouble with this, and how's your purity? Come on, bro. Well, there's ongoing immorality. Okay, so get rid of these overinflated excuses. Men tend to do that. And so when you hear these things, when you're studying the Bible with somebody... Nine times out of ten. That's what's going on in the fellowship. If there's some, you know, offering of some, let me, let, me, let me present to you a philosophical justification, there's normally something going on. And as a church and as, as individuals, we need to let our thinking be realigned to the scriptures and not get overinflated. Amen? Amen. Secondly, we've got to flee from sexual immorality. Verse 18. Come on, Dave. Come on, Dave. There's nothing unclear about that. You may not understand verse 12 through 17 and what in the world is Paul talking about and the theology behind that. But verse 18, crystal clear. And so some people have even used this and said, oh, he's, he's talking about don't sleep with a prostitute. No, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. In case I wasn't clear about what we're talking about, that's any form of sex outside of the marriage. Flee from it. It was an issue 2,000 years ago. It's an issue today. Especially with the widespread abundance of it. There's something interesting what Paul says in the rest of verse 18. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against the body. What is he talking about? We're not quite sure. But what we are sure of, all sin is not the same. It's not. When you sin sexually, something devastating happens to who you are as a person. All other sins, all other sins, except 
sexually. There's something core about who we are and sexuality that when you sin that way, it's devastating. So not all sin is the same. No other sin threatens your body to be mastered by someone else. Because he'll say, when you unite yourself like that to something, you're united to them. You're supposed to be united to Christ. How can you be disjointed from Christ and then unite yourself to another? There's something very damaging that happens when you do that. Corinth says, the body is irrelevant. I can do what I want to do. Paul says, no, your body is highly relevant. And he'll go on to say, verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. There's something about your spiritual body. You have a body that will be raised. And we don't, again, you can read, there's heaps of commentary and discussion about what Paul's talking about here. One potential suggestion is that when you sin sexually, it has some kind of eternal significance. Your body is raised. You've scarred yourself. You may be saved. You may make it to heaven. But there's something devastating. You sin against your body. And not just your own body. It's the corporate body. And not just the corporate body, but the body of Christ. All of that's included here in this passage. You take your physical body. You take some body with you beyond the grave. Jesus was raised, he had a new glorious body, but he had scars. And so there is some thought that, man, when, when you mess around, you might scar yourself. That's why it says, flee from sexual immorality. Don't even get close to it. It's damaging and it's devastating. The best picture of this, of course, is this cartoon. <laughs> this is Genesis 39. That's Joseph on your right. That's Potiphar's wife on your left. That's where the stiff arm came from. He's like, get off me. You know, in this passage, it, the Bible says Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. So he says, hey, look, your husband's really put me in charge. No one's greater than I am. But here's what he says. How could I do such a wicked thing against God? That's important. How could I do this to God? Yeah, your husband's done a great job in elevating me, but I can't do this toward God. There's something devastating about this. Day after day, she spoke to Joseph and he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house attending to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. That word ran in the Hebrew, when they translate it to Greek, it's a nerdy trick you can do, is the same word flee. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So when he sees this, I mean, here's this attractive, successful woman. And she's like, day at the Bible says, day after day. You're so well built. You're so handsome. You're such a good looking man. You come to bed with me. Joseph says, I can't do that, man. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out. I'm fleeing. Man, that's such an important image to keep in your mind. Stiff arm. Out of here. Gone. Flee. 
Nowhere near. Why? Because something devastating happens when you sin sexually. And I've heard all these arguments. Brothers, you know, if you hear terms in the next couple of minutes you're not sure about, you can ask me. Again, better to learn this in church than out in the world. But I hear these arguments from men that say it's okay to masturbate. Really? Who does that benefit? Tell me who it benefits. Tell me if, if, if it's such a big deal, can you stop it? So it doesn't benefit anybody and you're enslaved to it. So why are you arguing for it? The Bible says flee from that. And I've heard all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and I've heard that, well, you know, I'm not, I'm just looking at the menu. I'm not going to order the entree. That's, that's the worldly wisdom of, you know what, I can look, I can browse, I can scroll, I can look at the internet as long as I'm not engaging. Flee from sexual immorality. That's what the Bible says. And, and people shy away from this. And, and there's kind of this culture. It's like, oh, I'm only human. And I'm going to fall. That's true. But when you start to use that as an excuse and, you're, and to be attracted to that and not flee from that, you're in a bad shape. Sexual immorality is going on in the church in Corinth. Why would it not be different today? Flee sexual immorality. One of the most disturbing and, and distressing things is I've studied the Bible with guys. And we start talking about sin. And we'll start talking about immorality. And it, it, there's ongoing clear immorality. And they say, but yeah, I'm a Christian. So help me understand how that works. Because a few chapters earlier, Paul says... The immoral will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Immoral is, is having ongoing lifestyle. But people in the world think, I can do as I want and still be a Christian. Paul says, no, flee from it. It destroys you. Yeah. It destroys you. I think, I think there's this popular mentality in the world. To, oh, you, you've become addicted. Yeah. Which, which that, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> Paul says, flee from that nonsense. People say, oh, it's a disease. You can't really repent of a disease. You can't really repent of this addiction. You know, but Paul says, man, you've got to flee from this. But our world is softening it. Yeah. Say, it's okay. You're getting addicted and all this kind of stuff. You know what? You've got to flee from sexual immorality. We've got to think more highly about our union with Jesus. That's what Paul's trying to get him to see. Man, you're united with Christ. You're not thinking about that. You're thinking too lightly of the sin and too lightly of your union with Jesus. Hey, it's all over the place. I read in the news just the other day, flat out nude dining restaurant in Auckland. And the term they used was, we want to promote platonic nudity. Yeah, think about that. Really? No, no funny business goes on. We just have some drinks and we encourage people to bring as much alcohol as they want. Really? We're, come on. Flee from sexual immorality. This is, this is so relevant to our youth. You know, we've all been young. It's crazy. It's in your face. It's at your school. It's in your conversation. Even when we ask you about it and you say, no, it's not going on. We've all been there before. <laughs> we were all young. We know what goes on. Flee 
from sexual immorality. And the reason why the Bible says is you are not your own. Third and lastly. This is really the, the, the crux of, of Paul's argument. In verse 18, 19, and 20. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's not just about, here's a rule, stop doing this. Let me put down some restrictions. It's No, you've been redeemed. You've been purchased. You were bought at a price. You have a new master and a new lifestyle. That's why you flee from it. You are not your own. Before the church in Corinth had been set free, they were enslaved to all kind of stuff. Self-centeredness, indulgent lifestyles, and then by His grace, God purchases them and becomes their new master. As a result, they live a new lifestyle because they're not their own. That's the same for anybody who believes, repents, and gets baptized. And all along, He's been telling them this. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. You're the temple! Don't you know that? 1 Corinthians 5. You're the new batch. Don't you know that? Here again, don't you know that the Spirit lives in... You are God's temple. You're not your own. You're not your own. That's the thrust for living this lifestyle. You were bought at a price, verse 20. When I was 19, I signed a contract for the United States government that basically said, we own your body. Basically what it said, I remember going to boot camp and they said, your heart can belong to Jesus, but your body belongs to us. In a more profane way. Whatever we tell you to do, you do, you have a new master. For the next four years, we own you. That sounds harsh and weird and slavish, but as a 19 year old, the whole reason why I did that is I had no purpose and no direction. And so for me, it was a stepping stone for my life. Now someone else said, you're mine now. Whenever, I, whenever you walk out on town, you represent the United States government. When you're in private and when you're in public, you represent the United States government. What you do matters. We now own you. And you better have some good conduct when you're out and about. And, and so for me, that, that made sense. Like, okay, well, I really wasn't doing nothing anyway. So fair enough. You know, it gave me purpose. It gave me direction. While I was in the service, someone reached out to me. And this made lots of sense. Because I was still lacking purpose, lacking direction. And I was bought at a price by the blood of Jesus. And now it all started. Okay, okay. Now I represent Jesus. I have a new master. Someone has purchased me. I am not my own. My conduct matters. The way I present myself, the way I act, the way I behave. Someone purchased me. I'm not my own. Therefore, I can live like this. All of our Christian life is based on this concept. It's not about rules and not having fun. It's about you can be redeemed. You can be purchased at a price, as we talk about in the communion. Thank you, little chick. <laughs> I'm just a little chick. My little chick, Chris. But that's what he's talking about. We've been redeemed. Therefore, our thought life can change. Our behavior 
can change. This highly clashes against our culture. I mean, the Bible is so vastly different. I am my own man. No, you're not your own. I can do what I want. Can you really? We've been bought. We are not our own. As we conclude this morning, I pray that we all invest in these concepts so that we can become a community who aligns our thinking to the Bible and not to culture. Over and over, it's helpful to have someone realign your thinking because we all get overinflated at times. And in our behavior, the church, the youth, every man, every woman has to flee from sexual immorality. It's not like any other sin. It does something devastating to the core of your being. And we have to live like a community that's been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We are not our own. Therefore, we honor God with our bodies. Amen. Amen.